Carter, are we ready? What is taking so long? I'm trying, but Petro's area is so slow. Let me take a look at this. We're connected. We're ready. All right, let's go, let's go, let's go. C3 Memphis, we are alive in five, four, three. Hey C3, it's the Hans here. Wanted to uh, welcome you this morning. Uh, glad you're here with us, glad we're with you. Uh, we miss you guys very much. Uh, Want to say thank you to Larry and Sherry and uh, Chris and Zach, Justin and everybody putting on um, the uh, the C3 Sunday morning uh, episodes. We've been truly blessed by it. So, love you guys. Love Look forward you. to seeing you soon. Scott loves you too. <laughs> bye. Hi, C3. Hello from Texas. We love and miss you all. Say bye. Miss you guys. Talk to you later. Hey, C3. Miss y'all. <laughs> Hi, C3 family. We miss y'all. Can't wait to be back in church. <laughs> Hi, C3 family. This is Terry and Doug Barnes. We're looking forward to being able to meet again together soon. Until then, everybody stay safe. Can't wait to be back in the building and sit down and give everybody's neck a hug. Love y'all. Hey, C3. Look forward to seeing you guys. We miss you so much. Hi, C3, C3 family. family. We, we miss, miss you guys you. and we love you. See you soon. Filled with sin I wouldn't let My dear Savior in Then Jesus came Like a stranger In the night Praise the Lord I saw the light I saw the light I saw the light No no more night Now I'm so happy No sorrow inside Praise the Lord I saw the light Just like the blind man I wandered along Worries and fears I claim for His sight. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness. No more night. Now I'm so happy. No sorrow inside. Praise 
Good morning, C3 family. I hope you're having a great morning. We're gonna be reading from Ecclesiastes 4 this morning. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But if someone who falls alone is in real trouble, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Hey, welcome to Christ Community Church. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, and Randy Timms, thank you so much for doing the call to worship. And uh, we encourage you guys to gather around your TV and your iPads and your laptops. And what else is cool these days? Is there anything else? Cell phone? <laughs> yeah. You got to sing along with us. There's a land that is fairer than day And by faith we can see it afar For the Father waits over the way To prepare us a dwelling place there In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. We shall sing on that beautiful shore. The melodious songs of the best, and our spirits shall sorrow no more. Not a sigh for the blessing that rests in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore To our bountiful Father above, we will offer our tribute of praise for the glorious gift of His love and the blessings that hallow our days. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore Sing in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore we shall meet on that beautiful shore we shall meet on that beautiful shore. 
So good morning, C3, and thank you guys for that great music. Uh, we're happy that you're here. We're happy to be here. I'm happy that there's electricity. Yes. About an hour ago, our power went out, and Justin and I were standing here scratching our chins, wondering if it was going to be like Larry with a cell phone. So I'm very happy that we're all here today. Yes. Um, I want you to think for just one second, even if you're not much of a reader of fiction, um, of the, can you come up with the name of one or maybe two great Russian writers? <laughs> anyone? Great Russian writers, anyone? I bet you can. When I say their names, I bet you'll know. One of them, actually maybe my favorite of the two, is Fyodor Dostoevsky. You might have heard of him. He wrote Crime and Punishment, um, Brothers Karamazov. But the one I want to talk about today is Leo Tolstoy. You've heard of Tolstoy. And he wrote War and Peace and Anna Karenina. Um, Two of my favorites. Yeah, they're great. They're, Larry will give a, a full uh, uh, re up. review a little later. Um, I want to read to you today a little bit, just a little bit, from this book entitled Soul Survivor, which is a fantastic book by Philip Yancey about different sorts and types of Christians who helped him uh, develop his faith. And Tolstoy is one of those. Listen as I read just a little bit from this book. In the long history of literature, no one has exceeded Leo Tolstoy's ability to portray the full essence of life. As Virginia Woolf expressed, nothing seems to escape him. Nothing glances off him unrecorded. Every twig, every feather sticks to his magnet. At the time that he wrote, Russia had, at the time that Tolstoy wrote, Russia had 50 million serfs. Almost half the population lived as virtual slaves, and unlike most landowners, Tolstoy moved about his peasants and got to know them and eventually decided that the peasants lived richer and more interesting life than his own life. Tolstoy was looking for meaning. Hmm. Tolstoy had the unique ability to portray the world as if he were the first person to see a plow turning up hard clods of earth or hear ice cracking apart on a frozen river. He could describe it. He could hear it. He could see it. But he also acted as if he were the first person to truly take the Gospels seriously. He read straightforward commands of Christ and put them into practice. Sell all you have and give to the poor, Jesus said to the young, uh, rich young ruler. And so Tolstoy did that. He freed his serfs. He gave away his copyrights to his work. He began to dispose of his immense estate. Noteworthy and, and noble. Here's the rub. Tolstoy's attempt at honesty and social reform caused endless problems in his own family. Mm. His in inattention to the estate ruined the family income. His disposal of the copyrights deprived his heirs. What Leo considered steps toward holiness and what he would later call perfection or perfectionism, his wife Sonia viewed as family abuse and mm. folly. Mm. Tolstoy's desire to reach perfection led him to devise ever new list of rules, yet he could never achieve the self-discipline necessary to abide by his own rules. He wrote in his diary that his wife prevented his spiritual fulfillment by insisting on a, quote, normal way of life. Mm. Sometimes 
Tolstoy managed to accomplish great good. When a famine hit his area, or like what we have now, when a disaster hit, he spent two years organizing relief, setting up makeshift hospitals and caring for the destitute. Yet, by any measure, Tolstoy's quest for holiness ended in disappointment. This is what Sonia wrote in her diary about her relationship with her husband. There is so little genuine warmth about him. His kindness does not come from his heart, but from his principles. Where is his love? Where is his Christianity, she wrote. Mm -hmm. The one who possessed and professed such love of humanity had difficulty showing any single individual's love, Mm -hmm. even the members of his own family. So how did it end? In the end, Tolstoy fled from his fame, his family, his estate, his identity, and he died like a vagrant in, in a rural railway station. There's a movie about it called The Last Train, I think. You might could look it up. Hmm. He was surrounded by curious vill- uh, villagers and journalists, but there's this poignant photograph, which you can also look up, of his wife, Sonia, peering through a dirty window into the station where he lay dying, and his... His followers wouldn't let her enter in. Mm. The Tolstoy, Larry's going to speak today about relationships, and he's going to call on people in a relationship to to act as a team. Mm. The Tolstoys, it's not about accomplishment, and it's not about the fact that accomplishment is a bad thing or a curse, of course. But the question is, at what price? Um, and the Tolstoys paid a very high price indeed. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Pray with me. Lord God, you tell us in your word that you have very little to offer people who need very little. But you have great abundance for those who acknowledge that they have an abundance of need. I pray today that you would speak to us and reveal yourself to us and that we would know that we've been in your presence and received grace from your table. And if you would do that, Lord, we sure would be thankful. Amen. Um, The last several months, uh, families and in particular married couples have been placed in very unique and challenging circumstances, maybe to say the least. Unprecedented togetherness has increased relational and marital stress and conflict profoundly. At least that's what all the research and studies have shown. Behaviors uh, that were previously unnoticed or unknown have become sources in many situations, in many families, sources of great conflict. Habits, quirks, ways of doing things, routines, the use of time, priorities, alter egos have all uh, created division and conflict between husbands and wives. I've read an interesting article not too long ago uh, about how often people have acknowledged or noticed that the person that they're married to and that comes home at night is very different from the person that they now have seen 
working from home. His work persona and his home persona, really, it's almost two different people. I read about a famous actress who, after staying home with her husband for months, said, I did not realize that my husband trimmed his nails, both finger and toe nails, by ripping them off (laughs) with his teeth, and it's driving me crazy. (laughs) Uh, Child-rearing methods, entertainment choices, hygiene issues, words and vocabulary, even home temperature and lighting, uh, fights over how many lights you uh, turn on, uh, uh, exercise uh, choices, work and phone and meeting habits, uh, what people eat when they're normally at work versus what they eat at home, frequency of showers, going to the bathroom and coffee breaks. All of these are things that mates did not notice or were completely unaware of because their, their husband or their wife did these things at work and not at home. And now that they're doing these things at home, it's really creating conflict. Um, I want to talk to you today, uh, I want to address that hopefully a little bit, by talking to you today about one, in my opinion, one source of real conflict in the relationship between a, a husband and a wife. And that is an unwillingness on the part of the husband and wife to become a team. One significant cause of conflict in marriage is that the couple is unwilling or unable to truly become a team. Couples do not grasp and they do not value what great armies, great bands, great companies, and great sports clubs know to be true. And that is that there is strength, success, and satisfaction that results when individuals choose to become a team. The Bible places great value on becoming a team. In fact, I I would say that the Bible declares that becoming a team changes everything relationally. Listen to a few verses that... Uh, address this issue of becoming a team. Ecclesiastes 4. Randy Timms read this earlier, but I want to read it again. The wisest man that ever lived said this, two people working together are better than one, for they can help each other be successful. If one person falls, the other person can help him get up. But if you fall alone, you're in real trouble. Two people sleeping together stay warm, but one person sleeping will freeze to death. And fighting a battle alone will result in defeat. But two people standing back to back can win the battle. Amos, the prophet, said it this way in chapter 3. Can two people walk together without agreeing? What he's talking about is becoming a team. A team, two people, can experience real progress and real harmony in a journey if they learn to walk together in agreement. They learn to walk at the same pace, and they learn to walk in the same 
direction. That's what he's talking about. Paul addresses it in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 when he uses the metaphor of a human body. And he says that a human body experiences great health and strength when it, the parts of the body work together as a team. Isn't that the real underlying definition of cancer? When a part of the body chooses to no longer work with the rest of the body as a team. It does its own thing apart from the good of the rest of the body. If you only hear one thing today that I say, I pray it's this. God wants you and your mate to become a team. God hates marital discord. He hates marital disunity. He hates relational destruction. It could not reflect more of who God is not. It's not who God is. God is not a God of discord, a God of disunity, a God of relational destruction. God hates those things for many reasons, not the least of which it has such a poor reflection on how God sees us, how God treats us, how God relates to us. God wants every husband and every wife to truly become a team. That's why at least five times, I only found five, but I think there might be one or two more, but at least five times, God says that he, he in the Bible, he says the exact same thing in Genesis 2, Mark 10, Ephesians 5, Matthew 19, and I could go on. He says this, that a man should leave his father and mother and join himself to his wife and become one. What's he saying there? Five different, four, five, six different times God is saying the exact same thing. What's he saying? He's saying that it's his plan, it's his will for two people to leave their previous existing teams and to intentionally and purposefully create a new team. Part of that team, part of that becoming a team is the recognition that God doesn't want us in our marriages to be coaches. No coaches allowed. God wants us to be team players, not team coaches. God wants you to be a part of the team, but not be a coach. Listen to what he says uh, that reflects this idea in 1 Corinthians 7. I, Paul says, the, uh, talking to husbands and to wives, he says, I, I being a husband, I have authority over my wife's body and my wife has authority over mine. Where's the coach in that? Ephesians 5 says we are to mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Am I saying that in a marriage there's not different roles and each role, while different, is equally significant? Absolutely, there are different roles. There's different hats that need to be worn, different work that needs to be done by each person. I'm not minimizing that. But I am saying this, that Paul introduces these different roles in marriage with this verse in Ephesians 5 that he says, we are to mutually submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Before I can understand my role and I can understand the role that my wife should play, I need to understand God's passion 
to mutually submit to my wife and her mutually submit to me. I was thinking the other day about this, and I was thinking about Luke chapter 22, uh, where Jesus is uh, preparing the disciples uh, that night before he died on the cross. And they're sitting at the table, and he's trying to explain to them what's about to happen the next morning. And all of a sudden he realizes there's whispering and mumbling and faces being made by the disciples. And he realizes, what's going on? He goes, uh, they were arguing over who was going to be the boss of the group. He's talking about dying on the cross, and they're arguing over who gets to be boss. And Jesus responds to that discussion they were having by telling them that if you are focused on being the boss in your relationships, you are missing the point. Sometimes I'll have a couple come to me, and the, normally it's a husband and say, now, who, who's going to be the head of this? Uh, I want you to talk to my wife or my fiancé about who gets to be the, the head of this relationship. Who's the, who's the boss? And Jesus' point, I believe, would be, if you're asking who's supposed to be the boss, you've missed the entire point. People that are focused on trying to be the boss, they miss out on what God is doing in their lives and family. They miss out on what God's trying to show them. And I would also add that God wants us not just to be a team. He's created a model. He's revealed a model in the Bible to help us understand what a team is supposed to look like. And that's the relationship between the members of the Trinity. How Jesus relates to the Father and the Spirit how the Spirit relates to Jesus and the Father, how the, uh, how the Father relates to Jesus and the Spirit. I think I got all those in there. You know what I'm saying. Uh, listen to what John says, or what Jesus says in John 17. Father, make them, them being my disciples, make them one in mind and heart and purpose, just like we are one in heart and mind and purpose. Jesus said in John 12, if you trust me, you are trusting my Father too. And if you see me, you are seeing my Father as well. Do you, do you hear the unity, the harmony, the oneness that is involved in the relationship among the members of the Trinity? I think, and I could have given you many, many more verses that reflect that unity, of uh, that codependence, that devotion that each member of the Trinity has for the other two members. And I want you to notice just for a second the loyalty that the members of the Trinity have for each other. In John 12, Jesus says, I can only say and do what I've seen my Father say and do. And I have come to do my Father's will, not my own. John 14 says, my Father loves those who love me. And he loves those that believe in me. In John 3, Jesus says, My Father loves me and has given me all things, all peoples, and all authority. And then in John 16, the, Jesus says, The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will not speak of his own priorities, and he will not speak about himself. He will only speak of the Father's priorities, and He'll only speak about me, me being the Lord Jesus.
And then my favorite example is in Matthew 12, where Jesus says, you can sin against me, and you can even speak against me and blaspheme me. And if you do, I'll forgive you. But do not, under any circumstances, talk about the Holy Spirit. Because if you do, it will be unforgiven. Do you hear Jesus' passion to protect and defend the other members of the Trinity? Wouldn't you love to be in a marriage where there's that kind of unity, that kind of loyalty, that kind of devotion? If you only hear one thing that I say today, I beg you to hear that God wants you and your mate to become a team. I'm not suggesting that this kind of a a relationship, a team relationship, is natural, that it's easy, that it's quick, or that it is effortless, because it is not. It takes hard work. It will take a lifetime. It's not natural. Um, Many of you have this idea that if you find the right person, you find this soulmate, that then relationship will be easy. There's no soulmates. There's no such thing as that. That's a lie. We're not two pieces of Play-Doh or clay that are easily molded from two into one. That's not who we are. We're really two pieces of granite. And it takes God's supernatural power to create one thing out of two things so hard. It's As Sherry said earlier, it's not enough to just create a relationship where you get along, play nice, be productive and efficient, and accomplish much. We must recognize that we will only experience a superior way of life if we become a team. It's understanding that my wife has clubs that I lack and desperately need if I'm going to win the golf tournament. My wife, I have tools that my wife lacks and needs if she's going to build a wonderful house. We must recognize that while we can accomplish much and we can be very productive and we can accumulate great amounts of things and possessions and wealth, we will never be satisfied relationally until we learn to become a team and put the team before ourselves. If you only hear one thing today, I pray that it would be that God wants you and your mate to become a team. Now, how do you do that? Let me give you five quick, I only have just a couple of minutes, so let me give you five quick suggestions on how to turn a marriage into a true team. Number one, this is going to be a problem for some of you. I'm sorry about that. You got to remember that a team is made up of two members and two members only. If the team that reflects your marriage includes anyone else, then there's something wrong. A marriage team does not include children. It does not include friends. It does not include uh, parents. It does not include work. A team in marriage is made up of two people and no one else. And part of the journey of learning to become a team is learning to courageously protect that team. I would suggest number two, 
Don't settle for anything less than a true, satisfying, joy-filled team marriage. Don't settle for what your parents had when you were growing up. Don't settle for what your friends have. Don't settle for what the world's trying to sell you. Work at creating something that's better than all of that. I would suggest number three, that you and I daily beg God for grace. Grace to love, grace to serve, grace to forgive, grace to bless, grace to put the team before yourself. Because we will not do that day in and day out for a lifetime together apart from God's grace. Number four, I suggest that you and I learn to avoid being a coach. We don't want to be married to a coach. We want somebody that will be shoulder to shoulder with us going through the challenges and the responsibilities of life, not somebody telling us how we ought to do it and how we are not doing it good enough. Decide that you're not going to have a relationship where people win, where people are right, and where people get their way. Nobody wants to play games for a lifetime with somebody that always wins, is always right, and always gets their way. Learn to take turns. Learn to compromise. Create an atmosphere on your team or in your team where both people win a lot, and by definition, that means both people lose a lot as well. And finally, if you want to make your marriage a team, learn to get wise counsel. Proverbs 12 says that there is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end, it leads to death. We need help recognizing things about our lives, and things about our relationships that we view as life-giving, but in reality, they're leading us toward death. We need a new set of eyes. We need eyes that are wiser than ours, that have perspectives that we don't have. Learn to benefit from wise, objective counsel. I say one more time, if you only hear one thing that I say today, the one thing that I pray that you remember is that God wants you and your mate to learn to become a team. Sherry and I uh, are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And if you have bread and wine or juice nearby, I hope that you'll join us as well. Um, there's this verse in John chapter 12, verse 24, that says that if a grain of wheat falls, no, it says, uh, unless, I'm sorry, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will remain alone. But if it falls and dies, it will create a great harvest. Jesus Christ did not have to come to this earth, and he did not have to die. He could have remained the Son of God and the beneficiary of all of his Father's blessings and never suffered a moment. But if he had, he would have remained the Son of God alone. But he came, and he lived, and he suffered, and he died, because he wanted to bring many sons and daughters back with him into the family of God. 
He was willing to sacrifice and suffer for the good of the team. And that's what I pray God will instill within our hearts. And by eating bread and drinking wine today, we're declaring that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and suffered. He fell to the ground and died. But in the process of dying, he created a great harvest. We believe that. And we eat and drink to declare that. And I invite you to join us now. Thank you so very much for joining us today. Uh, some of you are wondering about when we're going to start meeting again back at the Botanic Gardens. I do not have any specific details uh, about that. I'm talking with the Botanic Gardens personnel every week, and we're waiting on some uh, direction and clarity on when they're going to open back up their facility so that we can meet there. And I will be keeping you informed as I know things, You'll know things. But uh, thank you again for being with us today. We're grateful that you could be here. Bless you. Yeah. Are you hurting and broken, fear? Overwhelmed by the weight of sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of self? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. No, come to. The altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes Today there's no reason to wait Cause Jesus is calling Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy From the ashes a new life is born Cause Jesus is calling Don't come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness is bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ Come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Yeah.
precious blood of Jesus Christ And oh what a Savior Isn't He wonderful Sing hallelujah Christ is risen Bow down before Him, for He is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. And oh, what a Savior, isn't He Christ is risen, we bow down before Him, for He is Lord of all, we sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Well, thanks again for joining us. We are Christ Community Church. Um, we'll be back next week. Same place, Facebook Live and YouTube Live, 1015 in the morning. Am I forgetting anything? We won't have donuts. We won't try to be weird. <laughs> We're probably going to be weird. <laughs> Matter of fact, you should stick around for the last like 30 seconds of this right after we're done here uh, to see Zach Smith. He, it's so awesome. Do not miss that. Uh, thanks again. Y'all have a great week. Happy Memorial Day weekend. We'll see y'all next week.